Good afternoon to all our listeners. A very warm welcome. It's now just turned four o'clock this afternoon, the 28th of June 2022, this Tuesday. And now it's time for our catechesis. And I'm very pleased to introduce a man who doesn't need any introduction now. He's our new priest director, Father Toby. Hello, Father. Hi, Eddie, and uh, good afternoon to all of our listeners. Lovely to be with you. Lovely to have you. Rather blustery afternoon down in London here. Okay, right. A little bit more peaceful here, thank God. So um, Father Toby is about to give his talk on his catechesis, The Virtue of Faith. So I'll be here, Father, in the background, and uh, I shall now hand over the airwaves to you and our dear listeners. Thanks very much talking about the the virtue of faith i just want to to start by by praying an an act of faith great in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen Amen. oh my god i firmly believe that you are one god in three persons father son and holy spirit i believe that your divine son became man and died for our sins and that he will come to judge the living and the dead i believe these and all the truths church teaches because in revealing them, you can neither deceive nor be deceived. Last uh, Saturday, I had the uh, the joy of um, conducting a, a uh, well, two two baptisms of uh, of two children of a of a friend of mine. And to do any baptism is is special, but uh, it's particularly special to do the the baptism of um of a friend who you've you've known since you were three and a half. So that was really lovely. And um and during baptism the uh the parents and the uh and the godparents make a profession of faith on behalf of the uh of the child who obviously being um well normally a child is a little bit too young to say it for themselves and they say do you reject satan and all his works do you reject sin so as to live in the freedom of god's children and then it goes on do you believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth do you believe in jesus christ his only son our lord um, do you believe in the in the Holy Spirit? And at the end of that, we respond, this is our faith. This is the faith of the church. We are proud to profess it in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in that, you've got um, one sort of obvious meaning of, of what we mean when we when we talk about faith. Um, you, we have the, the contents of the creed, which we profess every Sunday at Mass, um, that it's the the sort of the core contents of the Christian faith, um, but faith also has another another um, way in which we use it, and that it's that meaning which is more important for our discussions of of the virtue of faith. Because there's not only the the when we speak about faith, the content of what we believe, but the way by which we believe it, um, and. When we speak about believing by by faith, um, a, a lot of people, well, particularly sort of agnostics and atheists, will sort of raise their eyebrows and they will find faith um, and uh, and speak about some faith as something something childlike. Now, I will suggest there is something childlike about faith, but childlike in in a, in a in a good way. Um, but what I want to to deal with, especially in this in this first session, is is faith a lousy way? Um, because Mark Twain once quit, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Um, 
now that ought to ought to jar with us and, and we might ought to think that that's problematic um response be um how do we sort of say that to, to have faith is is both you know something something beautiful but also but also something reasonable and and the first thing that I would say is that that faith is as a, as a way of knowing things is much much broader than just um, matters of religion. Um, faith, in fact, is the way by which we know most of what we claim to know. Because let's think a little bit about the different types of knowledge that we tend to have. Imagine I look up at the sky this evening and I see a red sky at night and then I recall that, that rhyme taught to me by my mother as a young child, red sky at night, shepherd's delight. And so I say to myself, oh, it's, it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. Now, we wouldn't really say that I know it's going to be a nice day tomorrow. I'm no meteorological expert. Unfortunately, um, it's not a qualification necessary for a radio Maria director. Um, and I have absolutely no idea what a red sky at night is caused by. So we wouldn't call this certain knowledge. We just call it, I have, a, I have an opinion that it's uh, probably going to be nice tomorrow. I told you that I was um, certain that England are going to win their sort of upcoming test match uh, against against India, um, having played so well against New Zealand in, in the last three tests. People might fairly say to me, particularly any Indian fan listeners, well, you can't know that, Father Toby. That's just your opinion. And if you were to tell me that India will win the test match, I would that you're wrong, even though I hope that that won't be the case. I hope that England win. And and I was in front of you, and uh, and two hands, uh, not just sort of gesticulating in a slightly Italian style with one and whole head with a with another. Um, but if I, you were to see both of my hands, then you would have certain knowledge that Father Toby has two hands, unless you thought for some strange reason that I was hiding another one somewhere. But is life? Do we just have searches, things that we can that we can see and prove with our with our with our senses, and just opinions about things, opinions about the way the world might be, and opinions about what might happen? Are there are there other ways of knowing? Well, what about if I said? We live on an island. Um, I speak here, sort of speak, uh, living living in in the British Isles. Um, would any listener say to me, "Well, that's just your opinion, Father Toby, that that living in London, you you live on an island"? I doubt it. But is it certain knowledge I have that we live on an island? Well, for some people, it might be. Some people might have walked the whole coastline of Britain. Um, not, I think, for the purpose of establishing that we're an island um, and that we don't have some little-known land bridge with France or Ireland. But nonetheless, if you've walked the entire coast of uh, of Britain, um, then you could have certain knowledge that this is an island. But what about for those of us who, who haven't done the walk or haven't sailed around it? Well, we've seen maps, perhaps. We've seen satellite images. But how do we know that these haven't been doctored and manipulated to trick us into thinking that this is an island? Well, the answer is, I don't know. But I believe 
um, the person whose book I read about walking around the whole coast of England, and I don't really see any good reason why map makers would try and deceive me into thinking that Britain was an island. And so I don't exactly know that Britain is an island. It's not something that I've established for myself with my own eyes, and it's not something I can prove using maths or logic, but I do believe it. Now, is it unreasonable for me to believe it? Well, I don't think so, because it seems reasonable to me to trust the map makers. It seems reasonable to me to, to trust Paul Thoreau, whose um, book I read about walking the, the whole coast of, of England, father, father of Louis Thoreau, who does a weird weekend um, TV programs that some people may have watched. And believing because I trust Paul Thoreau, believing because I, I trust the people who um, make the maps that I've seen showing Britain as an island, believing we trust the person who us, that's what we mean by faith. Now, faith can be reasonable or unreasonable based on the trustworthiness of the person we believe and their knowledge of what they're talking about. And in fact, trust and the, uh, and the word faith are in many ways inter interchangeable. We just tend to use the word faith, especially in a, in a religious context. Because most of what I claim to know about science from my biology and, and chemistry A-levels is not in fact knowledge I've tested for myself, but belief. These things I believe to be true because my teachers seem competent in their field, although I never actually checked whether my uh, chemistry teacher, well, one of my two chemistry teachers, Mr. Stapleton, who said he went to Durham and did chemistry, I never checked. I never saw his degree certificate to find out that he did so, or that Dr. Lazell went to Oxford and did a PhD there, as he claimed to have done. I believe them because they seemed to know what they were talking about, and they didn't seem to have a reason to mislead me. And so not to believe them, to, to give my own opinions in my A-level exams rather than repeating what they had taught me would have been an unreasonable thing to do. Unfortunately, whilst I was unreasonable in many ways as a teenager, I did still believe my teachers. And so hopefully I think we can now see how a lot, um, if not most of what we what we claim to know we do so by way of faith, by way of trust in, in, in others. And going back to that point now that I, that I made about faith being childlike, we, we might think about um, the, the trust that a child has in their parents and that that trust is, is, is absolutely proper. If a, if a three-year-old child were to ignore the, uh, the advice of a, of, a, of a parent about the, or the the sort of teaching of a parent about the way the world is and to say, no, I've seen what I've seen with my own eyes. That's not the way it is, mummy or daddy. Um, then we would say that that was, that was unreasonable, that they ought to trust those who have more knowledge about the way the world is than them. And to have faith is, is, is not, um, is not uh, what well, I was going to say, to be human um, is to exist in relationships of faith. We have to have faith in order to, to live humanly. To, to trust no one is to uh, end up very alone and very sad. Um, but sadly, we also know that sometimes other people lie or sometimes they're just mistaken. But when it comes to, to God, we need have no such doubts. 
because God is truth. God is the source of all truth and all that he knows is true. And so when God reveals himself in the scriptures, when God speaks, we need have no doubts about what he tells us. In fact, to doubt God, to put my opinion over the word of God, that's an unreasonable thing to do. Because I know from my own experience how often I can be mistaken about even simple things. Now, I think this is probably a, a good point to to pause for our for our first piece of of music, having sort of established that 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 faith is a is 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 an important way of knowing that it's that it's different to to both opinions that we might have, and that it's different to um, sort of scientific certain knowledge that we may have about things but that in many in situations it would be unreasonable not to have faith. And then after, the, uh, after this music break, we might come back and, and look at some of the, the reasons why it is in, in fact reasonable to have faith in what the, uh, what the church teaches. That's brilliant, Father. Fascinating first part of your talk there on the, uh, the virtues of, of faith. Do you have any particular song in mind you'd like to share with our listeners? Uh, John Hyatt, have have a little faith in me. Um, which the all, all the the first two songs that I'm going to have today, I think they they show to me sort of people gra- grappling through through music with the idea of faith. This, this first one is a is about a a human faith asking someone to to trust in them, and and that's really important. And then the next song we'll have is um is about somebody sort of grappling with with faith in God. Brilliant. Well, here it is. Have a little faith. When the road gets dark Let my love throw a spark And have a little faith in me And when the tears you cry Thank you. 
for such a long time, girl. Expecting nothing in return, just for you to have a little faith in me. You see, time, time is our friend, 'cause for us there is no end, and all you gotta do is have a little faith in me. I said, uh, I will hold you up. This is Radio Maria, and that was John Hyatt, and have a little faith in me. And today, if you've just joined us, we're here live as ever with our priest director, Father Toby, who's been speaking about the virtues of faith. So, Father, I'm very much looking forward to hearing your second part of today's catechesis. Thank you. So in our first part, we've just been talking about the, the different ways by which we know things that there are. There are opinions that we we hold. There are things that we have um, certain certain knowledge of, having seen with our our own senses. Um, and then there is that sort of probably far larger body of things that we that we claim to know, which we know by way of faith. And I gave the the example as I was talking about uh, saying that I have two hands. Um, now, obviously, this uh, not being a a video, but being a radio broadcast, none of none of our listeners can actually see the the fact that I that I have um, two hands. Um, but it would seem a weird thing for me to to lie about. Um, and Eddie, who who has seen me, our, our sort of host today, you know, he could probably vouch to you um, that I have two hands because he has seen me in in the flesh. And so the way that you know I have two hands is because. You know, maybe you think, oh, Father Toby sounds a bit shady and untrustworthy to me, but you know, you trust, um, you know, Eddie, who you, whose voice you've known on the radio for for longer than me, and uh, you know, he says that Father Toby has two hands, and so you know, by way of uh, of faith, that I have two hands. But obviously, whether I have um, two hands or not is not um, of a great deal of consequence to to any of our our listeners. Um, but there are much bigger things that we need to work out um, whether, to, whether to believe um, by way of faith or not. And actually, if we think the, the, re- the things that really matter to us in life, um, we largely know by, by way of faith, because especially when it comes to, to, to love, um, we, when, and when somebody professes their, their love for us, we have to trust them that they do, in fact, mean that um and you know and every now and then it turns out that somebody has been led along in a in a in a horrendous way or been used for for the sake of their money and it and it breaks their heart but we can't actually see with a with our eyes whether somebody um loves loves us um we we their actions are indicative of it but what lies on their heart and the reason for their actions um we remains somehow blind to and so trusting in the in in the love of another 
is a is an act of faith but just as important as uh, sort of trusting in somebody's profession that they they love us is whether we whether we trust the uh, the gospels and can we trust the accounts of their authors we have to ask ourselves um is the testimony of the gospel writers true or false and here it's important to state that the gospels are quite different from a religious text like the the quran or the book of mormon muhammad claimed to have had the quran divinely dictated to him whereas the gospels don't claim to be divine dictation the gospels are the eyewitness testimony of matthew and john and in the case of luke and mark their texts comprised on the back of accounts of eyewitnesses and so our christian faith turns not on believing in divine dictation but on the reporting of historical events um, and events about a person who existed in history and these either happened or did not happen now some people treat the gospels as inspiring myths um, but that's not what the gospel writers claimed they were writing and, and if we look at luke's gospel in particular he's at particular sort of pains to to point out um that what he is writing is true that it really happened and that you can trust his account um this isn't to say that he's writing a straightforward biography as we might think of um biography as it exists today um the former pope um pope benedict he suggests that we we think of the the gospels in in the category of a, an interpreted history and an account told for a particular purpose on the basis of historical events seen in light of subsequent events and body a sort of little bit of un uncertainty like the idea of interpreted history just think about the way that that you tell stories um true stories normally when you're you're telling a, a story of what happened to somebody um, you're telling it for a particular purpose. There's there's some particular point that you want to get across, and that involves um, focusing in on on certain aspects of what happened and 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 leaving out other stuff, which, whilst it happened, is is peripheral to the to the basic point that you're trying to get across. Now, first of all, that that jesus was born lived and died is pretty incontrovertible not only have you got the four gospel accounts about him all written within about 65 years of his death but you also have other extra biblical sources like josephus the jewish historian making reference to him and so for for people to dispute the idea that jesus in fact existed as a, as a human person um it is, is crazy really it, it it makes um more sense to to believe that that jesus existed than many other um figures from that time the the amount of sort of uh, contemporary re uh, references to jesus that that we have is more than the than many other figures who know in history who nobody would doubt the existence of say like caesar or, or, or alexander the big question is whether jesus is who the gospels tell us he is and whether he did the things they say he did and taught the things they say they did now there are some people who discount the credibility of the gospels because they contain accounts of miracles 
And because they don't believe miracles are possible, they don't believe the Gospels can be true. But we have to note that this is a faith position as well. Just as my belief that the miracles did in fact take place is a faith position, um, the fact that I wasn't there um, means that I have to take the gospel writer's sort of account by faith. But the person who who doubts whether the um, the miracles actually happened, neither were they there. And so neither of us can prove our belief. Um, the miracle doubter will always posit some other explanation for a miracle. A classic example of that is the feeding of the 5,000, where people just try and turn it into a morality tale, saying that, in fact, when everybody shared what they had, it turned out there was a lot more than what they thought they had. And whilst that that's that's very true in um, in life um, and would be good if people shared a lot more of what they they had. We can see from the the setting of the the feeding of the five thousand within the gospel narratives that this is clearly intended to be a prefigurement of the the Eucharist. But whether one believes that miracles are possible or not, well, that's that's a world view, and we all have to acknowledge. That we have a worldview, and to give you an, an example about worldviews, I, I just want to um, recount a, an, an anecdote that a favourite writer of mine, David Foster Wallace, um, gives about worldviews, and it, it helps us to to see the way people interpret different events. So he speaks: there are these two guys sitting together in a bar in the remote Alaskan wilderness. One of the guys is religious; the other is an atheist. And the two are arguing about the existence of God with that special intensity that comes after about the fourth beer. And the atheist says, look, it's not like I don't have actual reasons for not believing in God. It's not like I haven't ever experimented with the whole God and prayer thing. Just last month, I got caught away from the camp in that terrible blizzard. And I was totally lost and I couldn't see a thing and it was 50 below. And so I tried it. I fell to my knees in the snow and cried out, Oh God, if there is a God, I'm lost in this blizzard, and I'm going to die if you don't help me. And now in the bar, the religious guy looks at the atheist all puzzled. Well, then you must believe now, he says. After all, here you are alive. And the atheist just rolls his eyes. No, man, all that was was a couple of Eskimos happened to come wandering by and showed me the way back to camp. So we see how our worldview influences the way that, that we see, uh, see, see, an, see an event. Um, though I've just spoken about miracles in that story, you know, in some ways speaks about divine intercession. The, uh, the biggest uh, motive for, for credibility um, in, the, in the gospel uh, accounts, I would say, is, is the resurrection. Um, the atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel is a, is a case in point on this. Lee Strobel um, was an ardent atheist and an award-winning ed legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, and he'd graduated with a, a master's in law from Yale. And when his wife converted to, to Christianity, Strobel was pretty put out about this and decided to prove, using all his legal investigative skills, that the account of the Gospels could not possibly be true. And so he decided to go for the jugular first. He knew that if he could show that the resurrection didn't happen, then the Christian faith comes tumbling down like a house of cards. 
um, St. Paul tells us that the very um, that this is that this is the case. Um, you know that we're, we're we're fools if we if we follow Christ and the resurrection didn't happen. The only thing for Lee Strobel was that his investigation didn't turn out quite the way he wished. You can read about it in his book, The, the Case for Christ, or the, the film of the same name, which I, th I think you can watch online for free on, on YouTube. And after interviewing experts from around the, the world, quizzing them on the resurrection, Strobel said, I came to the conclusion, ultimately, that based on the avalanche of evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of Christianity, it would have taken more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Note that it's, it's still a faith position that he's taking either way, but in his decision to, to believe, it was the decision based on reason. So let's now turn to look at the big question ourselves about the truth of whether the resurrection occurred or it didn't. Um, it's, it seems to me incredibly unreasonable not to believe in the existence of Jesus Christ as a person. The question is, did Jesus rise from the dead or didn't he? And if he didn't, then we've got four options. The first is that the whole thing is a made-up story. The second is that disciples made an honest mistake. And the third is that Jesus didn't really die. Sorry, the third is that Jesus didn't really die. And the fourth is that Jesus died, but something else happened to his body. And on the first point there, that the whole thing is made up. In this group, you have academics who and, and others following them who think that the the early Christians liked the pagan stories of God dying and rising, and they decided to adopt them and adapt them for their hero, Jesus. But the problem with this is that the early Christians were Jews, and for both the Jewish and the next wave of Gentile convert Christians, the pagans were the big problem. And the early Christians went to extreme lengths to weed out every scrap of paganism, and they would die rather than offer even a grain of incense to the pagan gods. And so it seems very unreasonable to me to believe that, given that they would, they would die rather than offer pagan sacrifice, that they would happily weave pagan stories into the story of Jesus. Also in this category, you have the sort of academics of the, the so-called demythologizing school who say, in some beautiful way, the teachings of Jesus continue to be believed and lived by his followers after his tragic death. And isn't this really what the resurrection is about, the, the continued belief in the teachings of Christ? But the problem with this is the New Testament writers say it really happened. These were, in the main, terrified, bewildered, confused, and amazed working-class people, not the sort who go around constructing meaningful fairy tales, which would also have been incompatible with their Jewishness and the idea that God really acts in human history. Having um, gone through that, that first reason for sort of belief in the in the resurrection as a as against um, the idea that the whole thing is a is a made up story, uh, perhaps we might go to a, a second music break and listen to 
Narina Palo singing her song um, "God," and Narina Palo, I, I find a, a fascinating artist. Um, I think in in her music, she's really um, grappling uh, with the the idea of faith. I think she desires faith, um, but I also think that she's absorbed uh, some of the ideas of the of the world about a sort of simplistic notion of 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 faith. Um, but there's a heart searching for for god i believe and i think that comes across in this song that we're about to hear great thank you very much father toby and if any of our listeners would like to phone in and ask a question live on air the number to dial is 01223 i'll say that again if you're getting a piece of paper and pen the number to dial if you'd like to phone in and ask father toby a question is 01223 Three seven five five six four, and this is God of Small Things. God of all things, God of small things, God of power and might. Did He really make the world in seven days and seven nights? Cause I don't know if You exist or if I even care.
This is Radio Maria, and you've just listened to God of Small Things by Nerina Pallet. Another very beautiful song chosen by our priest director today, who's in the middle of a very interesting talk on the virtues of faith. So, Father Toby, once more, I'd like to hand over the airwaves to you and our listeners. Thanks, Eddie. So, another reason why people say that... um that we we shouldn't believe in the resurrection is they say that look, the disciples made an, an honest mistake um in this group with the people who say that perhaps the disciples had a dream or thought they saw a ghost or that they were so overcome by grief they imagined that jesus was really alive maybe they had a hallucination like whatever happened they they weren't setting out to mislead us um but they just made an honest mistake the problem with this is that hallucinations don't tend to endure. Um, they might last minutes. Um, you know, some of us might have seen a, a mirage or when you're exceptionally tired. Um, I, certainly when I've, we used to be in the army reserves, um, remember at night after not a lot of sleep and you were on guard duty, um, you thought that you were um, seeing people walking towards you. And in fact, it was just bushes waving in the winds. But as soon as you're, you're rested, um, you see clearly again. And also, uh, they don't tend to happen to large groups of people at the same time. What one person sees when hallucinating tends to be very different to what another person might see when they're hallucinating. Another problem with this idea is that the enemies of Christ were very much intent on his death. They came to the execution to make sure. And had there been stories of a resurrection and it hadn't in fact occurred, they would have produced the body. Um, in effect saying, sorry guys, you were dreaming. Here's your dead master. The next problem with this idea is that the early Christians were tortured and persecuted. And yet there is no evidence of any of them ever denying the truth of the resurrection. Um, and that would seem a strange thing to, to die for, the, the truth of a, of a hallucination. Um, that the resurrection actually happened seems far more likely to me, particularly as the, the resurrection accounts have Jesus appearing not just once, but numerous times over um, several days. The third reason that people give for the, the resurrection accounts not being true is that they say, Jesus didn't really die. Um, now, in my opinion, this is the, this is the sort of craziest alternative theory. We you know that Jesus was flogged with leather cords with bits of pottery and glass woven into them to tear great hunks of flesh out of his body. Then he was crucified in public by professional executioners whose own life could be risked if they didn't kill their victim because there was a, a punishment for executioners under Roman law for failing in their duty. We know that he had a spear thrust in his side and modern medical science says that water and blood only come out from the side of a person after death has already occurred. If the person was still alive, only blood would flow. And so it seems crazy to me to believe that the first century author of a gospel had the kind this kind of medical knowledge in order to fake it because nowhere else in the literature of the time 
do we find an account of blood and water flowing from the side of a man? Another problem um, with this idea is that that Jesus didn't die is that if somehow Jesus survived the flogging, the beatings and the crucifixion, we're supposed to believe that once wrapped in linens and placed in a tomb with a two-ton stone in place, he woke up from his slumbers, unwrapped his linen, folded it neatly and put his shoulder to the stone and rolled it back from the inside and stepped into the garden to meet his friends. This seems unlikely to me. The fourth idea that people have for suggesting that the, the resurrection didn't in fact happen is the claim that something else happened to the body. Um, according to this theory, perhaps Jesus's body was thrown on the trash heap or eaten by animals or the disciples went to the wrong, wrong tomb or they stole the body. And the problem with this is that if we have any knowledge of Jewish culture, then we know that they were and still are very meticulous about burying their dead. There is no evidence that they threw the body away. Just the opposite in the, in the Gospels. All the evidence is of a hasty but careful and respectful burial. And if this were not the case, the eyewitnesses would have corrected the fudged Gospel account. And another problem with the idea that the disciples stole the body is that we're to believe that these men who were too cowardly to follow their Lord to his death suddenly found their courage and organized a conspiracy in which they sidestepped the Jewish leaders, outfoxed Pilate, and then overwhelmed the guards at Jesus's tomb, risking death in doing so. Seems unlikely. Another problem with this idea is that if they stole the body from the tomb, did they go on to suffer torture and martyrdom just to, per to perpetrate a hoax? Who dies for a hoax? What was in it for them? They were going to be the founders of a new religion and make lots of money? Well, that's not true. Look at the way the, uh, the early disciples lived. Um, they were not in this for comfort. They were not in this for money. And they weren't in it for fame. They were going to be cast out from the communities that they lived in. What possible motive is there for this action? And it's this final problem, the, the question of motive, that I think is the biggest argument in favor of the resurrection. It's the transformation that occurs in the disciples, uh, that they go from men who, who had sort of talked a good game but had been cowardly ultimately in action to men who will who will now go to their to their death for the sake of professing their their belief and their love in the risen lords the apostles depicted in the gospels as cowardly transformed the world afterwards with the exception of saint john they all died from the faith most far from home and those who they loved. Why? You need to answer that question. What seems more likely, that an encounter with the risen Christ emboldened them, filled their hearts with love, made them realize that death was no longer the biggest thing to fear in life, or that they decided to give up their lives for the sake of a made-up story? Now, the apostles, unlike you and me, had certain knowledge about whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. 
what on the basis of their actions seems more likely to you. I think there are plenty of reasons not to believe in Jesus, but I would say that most of them rest upon desiring to remain in a certain worldview, desiring not to have to change. And I don't think there are so many reasons not to believe in the Jesus of the Gospels that are based on the facts. And so at this point, perhaps we we might have um, one more piece of music, and, and this time we'll have a Adoro Te Devote um, written by uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, um, which uh, is uh, a man who clearly had very deep and profound faith. So our first two songs have, have looked at, at people sort of grappling around issues of faith. And, uh, and in the words of Aquinas, we, we hear the, the witness of a man who, whose life was transformed by faith. Great. This is Adoro Te Devote.
This is Radio Maria, and if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Catechesis, and we've had a very interesting talk by our priest director, Father Toby, on the virtues of faith. And if you'd like to phone in and ask a question, the number to dial is 01223-375564. That's 01223. Welcome back to Catechesis this afternoon and our talk with Father Toby on the virtues of faith. Father, I've been listening to your your talk today and taking some notes, and it's been uh, been very interesting to hear you speak. I, I remember at the beginning you were speaking about a childlike faith and um, how we have to be almost as innocent as a, as a little child in order to enter the kingdom of God. And uh, I think a lot of people these days have um, who are struggling with faith they find it difficult maybe to renounce their own self-ownership and give it give it up to someone else, which is obviously our, our, our Lord. So um, would you have any advice for people that are struggling to, to renounce their own self-ownership? I think um, my advice would be like, I, I think that's very, very common. Um, and it's, and, and it's difficult because we live in a in a culture which sort of at every possibility seems to sort of preach the virtue of of, of independence mm-hmm. um and it's good to be like a strong and and in, independent um i remember i i heard that at, at a funeral at one stage um the sort of the child of the deceased saying the thing i'm most grateful to my um mother for is for teaching me to be a strong independent person and th- and there's a gift in in getting sort of strength and a security in our in our identity from a parent, but we should never sort of overvalue in independence because ultimately we're we're all radically dependent upon one another. Um, we need to be loved. No no human person can exist without without love, and 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 loving our, ourselves is not that not the love. That each of us is is seeking, and so for our, our most fun, fundamental uh, need, that's not something we can provide for ourselves. And I think when we when we start to realise that, and we start to realise, I can't control my can't control my health. Um, I can't ultimately you know control my my continued in, in employment. I can I can work hard, but when I when I realise that that I can't control everything in my life. And I begin to realize that nor am I expected to, and that it's okay to need others. Well, then I think that that opens us up to the the sort of the humility that's necessary to 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 trust in God and to to admit my need for Him, but also to to remember that that faith ultimately is a is a is a gift. Because we can all be presented with the the same evidence for the the reasonableness of believing, but why why one person believes and a, and a, and another doesn't remains something of a, a mystery to us. And so the church teaches that to to actually believe, to actually trust in God, is in fact a, a gift of of God His His self. Absolutely, um, yeah, indeed. God. God yeah, well, Sorry, did I cut out? No, no. So I thought I cut. I thought I spoke over you, Father. Sorry, but we do have a phone call now. We have a a listener who's phoned in, and uh, could I ask your name, listener, dear listener? Yaroslava. Roslava. Hello, you're through to Father Toby, so you can ask a question. 
Yeah, I would, hi, Father Toby. I would like to ask how we can uh, practice or how the belief in resolution should affect my life. Sorry, could you, could you just repeat that for me? How, what should affect my life? The belief of resurrection. Resu I don't know how to pronounce correctly. Yeah, sorry. the resurrection. Okay. Yes. Yeah. How should I, it affect I, I my life? How I should... I think I think it in in part because it 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 gives us gives us hope and uh, and it and it means that it, it frees us to to truly live. I think one of the the things that that we saw in sort of COVID and and that you you see now without getting sort of too political about responses, but but there were some people who kind of wanted all of living to stop in order that they might just continue to 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 exist um but the christian is never called simply to exist but rather to to live and the christian life is a and is is an, an adventure and uh and it requires sort of getting ourselves into into situations of 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 risk at times taking the the risk of of loving another, the the risk of trusting another person, the the risk of treating another person as as Christ, and to and to to live in the hope of the resurrection, to live trusting in the in the resurrection, I think frees me from a from a certain fear, um, and that no longer fearing death as ultimate, I can then begin to truly live. Wow, great. Does that make sense? Uh, yes and no to me. <laughs> well, during the COVID, I was ill uh, and I was first time in my life freaked out and I'm going to die. Never, even when I was in accident or was uh, driving, driving, I never was uh, scared. I was that was first time in my life I felt I'm going to die. And uh, yeah. so, how do you have any trick or advice how you can practice or so if something happen again? You are not freaked out. I'm not freaked out again. I mean, I, I think we we have to live in the reality of the fact that that I will someday die. You know, in in this in this earthly in this earthly body, um, be it COVID, be it you know a tragic car accident, or be it just simple old age or cancer. Um, that one day I will die, and so. The way I sort of liberate myself from the the free of death is beginning to by beginning to live now in a way that I would not fear if I were to to meet to meet God today, and I think the the way I would recommend is by when we pray the Hail Mary right at the end we we say pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, and that recognition that one day the the now will be the the hour of our death. And that ultimately, there are only really two moments that matter in life: now, and the and the hour of our death. And so, to be to be liberated by that, to to truly live in the now, to not worry too much about the future, and 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 not concern ourselves too much with the past. Great, Father. Great. Well, I hope that answers your question. And yes, thank you. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll keep you in our prayers and keep listening to Radio Maria. God bless. Thank you very much. We are now, unfortunately, running out of time, although I could easily carry on and listen to more of uh, what Father Toby has to, has to tell us all. But um, I'm sure we'll have another opportunity, won't we, Father? Absolutely. Yes. Great, great. Could you mind leaving us with a prayer, Father? 
No, I'd love to do that. So um, just thank you for for joining us for this program, Um, listeners, and I hope you enjoy the the rest of what you listen to today. And I just want to to pray for you for you all that you might be strengthened by God in your in your faith in order that you might live it with um, more zeal with more conviction and we ask especially today for the the intercession of St Irenaeus bishop and martyr um the one who was liberated by by love such that he was prepared to go to his death for the the sake of love and we ask this through Christ our lord amen, amen. Father, thank you very much for this afternoon and uh, much appreciate your time. And I'm sure I'll see you next week. Uh, yes, you will. Yes. Great. Great. If not before. If not before. Great. Okay, listeners, with time has run out, unfortunately. Coming up next, we have the Ollie Clark Show. And this evening, if you're still around, listeners, uh, you can call in. We have Sister Rose, who's going to be doing her prayer intentions at 8 p.m. So you can phone in and talk to Sister Rose and uh, she will offer up your intentions here on, on air. So thank you once more. And this program will be repeated again and also made into a podcast. So thank you very much for listening, listeners.